Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. We're moving today. I'm so scared, God. I've never lived anywhere but here. Suppose I hate my new school. Suppose everybody there hates me. Please help me, God. Don't let New Jersey be too horrible. Thank you. Your shelf for mine Talking sophisticated topics all the time Your shelf for mine Kick back, relax, crack a book, unwind at your shelf Hello, and welcome to your shelf. Or mine. Or mine. I'm Becky Sandal, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. I'm Joe Dallas, Programming Technician at the Longview Public Library. And I'm Austin Brigden, a Circulation Specialist at the Longview Public Library. Wonderful. Well, I'm very excited today to talk about Judy Bloom, and I only wish I were able to read all of her books before we talked about them. Yeah, me too. I tried. <laughs> it wasn't possible. So let's start by giving our own Judy Bloom backgrounds. Joe, why don't you start? Okay. I, I do remember when I was probably 11, 12, or 13 reading Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. But I and I remember hearing rumors about forever, but I never actually read it. So that was when I was growing up. That was my background. I got this this box set that I still have of Judy Bloom novels from my great grandmother for Christmas when I was probably in like third or fourth grade. And I read them all a gajillion times. It has in it, just as long as we're together, it's not the end of the world, which is the divorce book. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and starring Sally J. Friedman as herself. And then after that, I just read almost all, I think, as a kid, almost all of her books, including Forever, which I think I read when I was 10 or 11 years old. Oh, no. And it was, <laughs> it was like oh, this is different <laughs> than Judy's other books. Um, but I definitely, like, told my friends about it, and uh, we passed around. I was probably in fifth grade, I think. I have no background with Judy Bloom except knowing the name. Um, so I'm the f- completely fresh to this for this episode. What did you guys read for this or watch? I uh, read Tales of the Fourth Grade, Nothing, mm-hmm. and Blubber. And forever. And I watched Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I listened to some interviews. Wow. Knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I think Joe wins. I did. Becky read Are You There, God? Aloud. And then I read Forever. And I was going to try to read her last novel, the um, In the Unlikely Event. And I just barely started it. Um, and then uh, watched the Judy Bloom documentary. And read a profile of her in The New Yorker where the reporter goes down and, like, hangs out with her in the bookstore in Key West. Mm-hmm. Um, and then read her by the book. call. They did a by the book 
where they ask him questions in the New York Times, like what's on your nightstand and what book should you not read before you're 40 and all that kind of stuff. Judy doesn't believe in not reading books before you're 40. She's pretty un- unsurprisingly like unrestricted, thinks everybody yeah. should be able to read everything. I read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and Forever. I read um, on her website she has a few of her like essays, I guess, about censorship. She edited this anthology called Places I Never Meant to Be, which is stories from a bunch of different authors who have been censored or have had their books banned. And her the introduction that she wrote for that collection is up on her website. And watched the Judy Bloom Forever documentary. And I read a little bit of Just As Long As We're Together, the beginning, which was probably the book I read the most number of times when I was a kid, which is about a group of friends. And this is my copy of Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, which my puppy soccer (laughs) chewed the corner of when I was a kid. And I remember... Just like thinking this was the most hilarious book I'd ever read in my life. <laughs> I love all your old covers. Yeah, I definitely have like the the early 90s or late 80s covers of these yearling paperbacks. That was a fun thing about the documentary is they kept showing like old covers and there some of them were pretty funny. Mm-hmm. I still remember the cover of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, as she's looking out the window and there's a moon. I think that that's was, the one that you read. That was the version, yeah, yeah, that I read. She's here at her PTS club, Preteen Sensations. <laughs> uh, it's funny how they change the covers to go with, like, you know, what contemporary life is, but then you read it and it's, like, totally about you know the 70s <laughs> right yeah I guess I'm the oldest one so I can I know are you there God is me Margaret was 1970 and forever was 1975 so it's still a little you know early I was definitely reading the reprints yeah for sure I remember when I was a kid I was probably in like fifth or sixth grade and my mom her friend Pam was over and they were like talking about stuff and I don't remember like how this came up but so Pam is probably the age where she would have been reading those books like right when they were coming out and she was saying that she remembers when she was a kid learning stuff about like Judy Bloom and I from Judy Bloom I mean and I think she said that <laughs> she was talking about forever and like reading it in high school and uh having it like tell her stuff that she wasn't like learning from anywhere else and I remember like just very quietly being like I read that book (laughs) and my mom was like I guess she didn't have any questions (laughs) that's what I remember hearing the rumors about Uh was that he he named his penis (laughs) his name it's Ralph right yeah um it definitely was for me and like my group of friends in like fifth and sixth grade our code word for penis like oh, afterwards funny. and no way could you ever take anyone seriously in the, if their name was Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> Did you know anyone named Ralph? No. Oh. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird thing. I just was like from reading forever for the first time yeah. as a grown up. Um, I was so impressed by it 
for w- what a roadmap it it is for teens like thinking about having sex or going and I it is dated and the one I read had the letters she she put in it at the beginning saying you know this was written a long time ago and now you should talking about STDs and you should be wearing a condom and stuff like that but even just going to um, the Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. clinic and like this is what you can expect and these are the questions they're going to ask you and mm-hmm. this is what they're going to do yeah just what great information for teens to to have even if they just thinking about it or just so they know like this is this is what you should be doing and the main character Catherine all that family support she has is incredible like I'm sure people or kids today wouldn't have nearly that much support so just real quick, Forever was Judy Blooms. I think she said in the documentary when it first came out, they published it as an adult book because there wasn't like a young adult publishing genre, you know, category at that time. And she's like, it's not for adults. It's for, it's for kids. But it basically is about Catherine and her first relationship with her boyfriend, Michael, and their sexual relationship, basically. It's pretty kind of like it's got that really narrow specific focus and it's explicit mm-hmm. and uh, super educational. I think one of the things I thought rereading it that I did not realize when I read it when I was young is like Michael's kind of a jerk. Yes, I thought <laughs> the same thing. And I was like, like, I never dated in high school, but I was like, is this how it was? Like you meet them and then the next day you're... I don't know. I kind of so. wonder, too, if it's published in 75, reading it like the way her parents are kind of matter of fact about mm-hmm. sex and like have the, there's like the little den and they just go in there. And I'm like, I can't imagine <laughs> like the 90s or 2000s parents that like mm-hmm. I knew of, even pretty liberal parents being quite that matter of fact. I don't know if that's a 70s thing. Well, I know mm-hmm. I had older brothers, my older brother and two older sisters and that was not but we were a very my mom was very religious so i guess mm. that played into it so that didn't happen in our house i know that <laughs> and then the grandma i love the grandparents yeah. but the grandma yeah. sends her <laughs> packet of pamphlets and it's like don't tell your parents and i was yeah i don't yeah. know but everybody's uh, very matter of fact with her about it and trusts her and she's really i think trustworthy she um I was thinking that scene where she goes to New York and she goes to Planned Parenthood and she's like getting all this information and stuff. Like she's so mature. You know she's... who's not trustworthy? Michael. Michael. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, and it's probably accurate, but I was reading that book just like, oh, I kept like putting my head in my hands. Yeah, it was definitely like. Grown. I do think. Yeah, I had a venereal disease. <laughs> what? <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> right, or when they're gonna when they're gonna go to. The summer stuff comes up and okay. she's going to, oh, they're going to make her go be like the tennis counselor. And she's just like racked with, you know, distress. She's so distressed about this. And then she tells him and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm taking a job in North Carolina and I've known for weeks. And he's just so like. And he's such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> he's very pushy. But she really knows her mind, I think. So she doesn't really let him like call the shots. 
she does things when she's ready. But yeah, he's real, he's real pushy. He's kind of a baby about, like, they break up at the end. He's a real whiner about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The breakup was kind of, I knew it was coming. Like, good for but you. I was like, <laughs> yeah. what? And then, yeah, he's like, I slept with everybody in North Carolina. And then he, like, peels out. And I'm She's like, like, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I thought that she does, it is real narrow on those two. Uh-huh. But the little peripheral things, she does a real artful, too. Like, the whole storyline with Artie. And Erica and like the grandparents and there's a lot of little things going on kind of on the edges that are really and well done. I like think. her parents, especially her father's main concern is that she doesn't want her just dating one boy. He's like, don't get like wrapped up in this one person. Don't make your future decisions based on this guy. Um, and she's like, whatever, dad. But, you know, he was <laughs> and they're kind of. And maybe this is true, like obsessive about each other Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And maybe that is a reflection on real life. But I think, again, in that letter that she writes in the beginning, she says she wrote it because at the time her 14-year-old daughter wanted Uh. there to be a book where teenagers have sex and nothing horrible happens. They don't die. Yeah. There's not an like an abortion or someone you have to move to another state to stay with mm-hmm. your aunt's house or yeah there's there's like not the moral the moral things going mm-hmm. on, but I remember hearing in an interview too she was saying that she thought thinks that like are you there goddess me Margaret and forever were published because it was the seventies mm-hmm. and that was just such a such an open time like post civil rights and women's rights and people mm-hmm. were just ready ready to hear that and like the publishers took took chance took big chances on her mm-hmm. where maybe that wouldn't have happened yeah today. in any other like period of time mm-hmm. oh yeah that editor in the documentary she talks about that editor harry matthews i think who she'd sent the stuff was dick was dick. it dick mm-hmm Okay. But anyway, she has this editor and she's in these things and he's like, okay. Uh (laughs) Like, what's she going to do this time? But he's always said, okay. There was this beautiful story she told in the documentary. The documentary is great because it has all of this old like interview footage of her talking about her books and and her, her life. And then also she's got really a good memory and is really open to talking about whatever Anyways, she talks about when she was writing um, Here's to You, Rachel Robinson. There's this part where Rachel's like older brother swears at her. He says the F word. And she got really concerned about it because this was coming out like in the 90s after she'd been started to be censored quite a bit. And she said something to her editor. And he's like, you're Judy Bloom." No, no. It was her son. Oh, yeah. Because her editor wrote her back and was like, he's like, Judy it's going to cause a problem but you know we'll do what you want to do and then she's like oh i don't know what to do and her son comes in and like you're judy bloom yeah it's like you do whatever you want yeah you tell the truth yeah yeah Yeah. and some of the interviews she talks about like all this freedom going on in the 70s and then she says ronald reagan got Mm. elected in you know, it was in 1980, 1980. and then it, it kind of started that was like the first uh, thing of banning and then now yeah she said it was kind of like just immediate like everyone was very organized 
they showed a clip in the documentary of her on Crossfire. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Opposite Pat Buchanan. Oh, wow. And she was like, this was a lesson for me because she went on, I think, totally unprepared for what the format of the show would be like and what he was like as a interviewer. Um, Assailant. <laughs> yeah. And but she very famously like she didn't quite blow up at him. No, but he's like he's, he's aggressive. I remember he's got yeah. a stack of books, her books. And he's he kind of like he's kind of like, oh, I read the but it's obvious that he didn't. You know, he's like skimmed them and he found read, like, the, the explicit parts that the kids marked. <laughs> and then and then he uh, he was really into Deanie. And he's asking, like, what's wrong with you? Kind of like, why are you so obsessed with bodily functions? That's what he says. And eventually she kind of blows up and she's like, are you hung up about masturbation? Did Pat Buchanan? And he's kind of like, you know. And she's like, it's like two sentences in my whole book. And you're just focusing on She's like, did you read them? Yeah, it was. She oh, stood up for herself. Awesome. But but then she kind of talks about it was really draining to like try to fight censorship of her books herself mm-hmm. and go on the go on these things or the shows or write letters. And so she kind of decided it wasn't good for her. And that's when she joined the the anti-censorship kind of movement and decided, well, we'll defend everybody's books together. We are not just the author out there, you know, tilting at windmills trying to to fight for their own books. I um, listened to one interviewer. It's really good. I recommend it. It's uh, Charlemagne the God is his name. Mm-hmm. And he's a Southern black man. He's got four younger daughters. And he... This was really neat. He said when he was young, his mom told him to go to the library and read books the op- about people the opposite of you. Mm-hmm. And so that's how he said he came across Judy Bloom was who else is the opposite of me than a white girl talking about her period, uh-huh. you know. And so and he fell in love with her books and he was interviewing her and he was talking about the censorship and he said, well, why the United States is supposed to be about freedom. Like it's in the national anthem, right? Mm -hmm. Land of the free. And he was saying, why is it that they just want to control everything? They want to control what people think, what people talk about, who they pray to. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a real, real neat. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. Judy talks on her website, kind of like the introduction to her like little links or different things about the reasons why people censor and she thinks like the main one is fear but nobody talks about fear when they are trying to like ban a book yeah i i there is a katie couric podcast that i also listened to with her and one of the people were saying uh one group it was like an author's group were saying that uh, a lot of the book banning, like of the the mothers, you know, doing mm-hmm. it is from the main reason is fear. And it's because they can't control the information their kids are uh, hearing or reading because of the Internet. So a book is like a tangible thing that they can control and and remove. So that was like one explanation of why these book mm-hmm. bannings from parents um, she she says, I believe that censorship grows out of fear, and because fear is contagious, some parents are easily swayed. Book banning satisfies their need to feel in control of their children's lives. 
This fear is often disguised as moral outrage. They want to believe that if their children don't read about it, their children won't know about it. And if they don't know about it, it won't happen. Mm. It's interesting. I'm, at the same time that I was doing getting ready for this, I, I've been slowly working my way through a book by the historian Rick Perlstein called The Invisible Bridge. And it's about the rise of Reagan. And, uh, and it kind of a big, you know, aerial view. And you sort of see, it was interesting to hear her talk about the 80s because you sort of see these tides in the country of progress and backlash, you know, and, and, you know, the 60s and 70s and then the response of the 80s and 90s and then more progress. And then I think seeing us right now dealing with, with a similar backlash, the parallels are just uh, really, you know, clear as I'm reading about the mm -hmm. late 70s and the early 80s. But I don't think that, like, I don't, my U.S. history is poor. I never took it in school, but it, it is my feeling that it's not, wasn't, like, I don't think Reagan cared, right? Like, I think he was responding to the, that's what the political right wanted when they tied their stuff with religion right so that was the the base yeah wanted. i think it's hard to know and reagan's kind of a mystery a little bit of a cipher it's hard to know what he really thought about anything but he, it was useful people's fear and sort of pitting people against each other um was useful people's fear of change people's fear of somehow you know setting things up as a zero-sum thing where if mm -hmm. different groups are getting more recognition or or more success that you must be losing it i think this is true of a lot of politicians but i think it, it's hard to know you're reading this book it's hard to know what he really thought right. but but he it was definitely useful for his to get power and i think right. it's all about control like she's in that quote i said she's looking at it from like a par parental perspective and what parents want is to imagine that they have control over their their kids lives so if kids like never read a book about sex they will never have sex i guess and uh and i i think that's something that yeah like savvy politicians they recognize people's fears and they want you know political control and so um they'll like tap into that mm -hmm. so that that they can have the control but what I don't understand is that you're, you know, I, I think you're totally right. That's what they're, they're, they're wanting power. But at the same time, they're waving the flag and saying, you know, oh, this is, they're such a great country, all these freedoms. Mm -hmm. But you're, yeah. it's not like it's you're, not very consistent. <laughs> how you're going about getting your power is, uh -huh. is controlling people, limiting their freedom, which reminds me of, China or Russia, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, communist countries. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ways that people will attack books that they don't like is by calling them communist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Judy says that she had a letter from a, somebody about, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Or maybe she had a phone call and they called that book communist. And she was like, do you think it's the discussion of God or in religion? <laughs> or do you think it's menstruation? <laughs> That's communist about this book. Uh, the long shadow of the Cold War, I guess. <laughs> One of the things I think about the documentary that was really amazing, because you do hear some of the same stories about her life and things like that, was that she got that incredible number of letters. I think she donated them to Harvard? No. No? Yale? Yale? 
Yale. I think it was Yale. And she, the, in the documentary, she goes in there and she's paging through them. She was getting like 2000 a month at one point or something. But the thing that really surprised me is they actually brought some women on, now middle-aged women, who she had correspondences with. She wrote back to them. They wrote back and forth for years and years. And she helped these women through incredible challenges. It was so challenges. moving. This one um, girl, she would write to Judy because she felt like she was like the only Asian girl in her yeah. school. And she felt so different. And... Um, they were back and forth for years. And then when she was in college, she was having some sort of problems with her family, with her parents. And she wrote Judy and asked if she would come to her graduation. And she came. And, oh and Judy and her God. husband got in the car and drove. The, yeah, and showed up. Everybody's like, why is Judy Bloom here? <laughs> she's but, like, oh, she's my friend. I've been corresponding with her since I was eight years old. <laughs> and was she as an adult in the documentary? Or yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. brought two of the women on. to, And... Uh, yeah, Judy Bloom seems she made herself very available. Yeah, um, it's kind of amazing. And then the other one was just like, oh my god, like heartbreaking story. She wrote to Judy when she was eleven or twelve, because um, she was going through a hard time because her brother had committed suicide, her older brother. And then I think in her third letter, she said one of the things that's so hard about this for me is that he sexually abused me, and I can't. She felt like she couldn't tell anybody about it because her parents were like grieving and they, you know. Oh my god! Um, and Judy was like, um, she wrote back to her and she was like, "I'm gonna find you like somebody you can talk to where you are." Oh, she found her therapy. She yeah. did. And oh then the god. woman who's you know an adult now in her fifties or something, she was like, "Judy Bloom's like literally saved my life." Yeah, oh, and they wow. do this flash through montage because she continued to write to her like when she graduated college and when she had her first child and all these mm -hmm. things. And and Judy Bloom though did talk about like she was engaged with people. Mm -hmm. She also did talk about she did get to a point where she was a little like she had to go to a therapist. Yeah, because <laughs> she trying to figure out how to walk that line because she's not a trained professional. No, she's just like a mother. <laughs> yeah, um, how to deal with because people would write her all kinds of all their trauma. Um, hmm. and she want to save everybody it's amazing that connection that you make like when you're young and you're so impressionable and you're reading these books like good books and that that connection that you make uh, with the author or the words that they say just how powerful that yeah. is and I think that's why we we remember these books that we loved that we read when we were young because they really help form who we are. And to feel like, I feel like for so many kids, and this is probably still true. I was thinking like, I don't know that there's anybody really writing like Judy now. Like people feel like she's the only adult who's like being honest with them, you know? Yeah. And I was thinking that too, like there's not, and Becky, you would know more about this, but there's, doesn't there seem to be like more ch children's literature is going, uh, there's so much more fantasy. Like, is there like real, there are real stories, yeah. but it just doesn't seem like there's as many or the appetite's not there for them or I don't I know. I think that's, I think that's true. Or maybe it's because we don't have, we don't have all those shared um, cultural things, mm -hmm. you know, like 
TV is streaming now, so not everybody watches the same shows. And, the, um, you know, their religion, not very many people are as religious as they used to be or go to church. So there's not that shared experience anymore. Maybe. I also think, so in the documentary, they talk to, like, different you know, writers and stuff. I think like Jacqueline Woodson was on and, and Jason Reynolds and um, they've written, you know, contemporary books for, they talked to people, band authors, Alex Gino, whose book, Melissa is very, probably like the most banned book of like the last 10 years, but none of, I don't know. I wonder how much of that has been like a silencing effect. Oh, like, that's interesting. She, Judy talks about that too. Is like one of her main concerns is like, you know, what what authors aren't writing, what they're holding back from saying, what publishers are too afraid to print, what they think will, you know, not Mm -hmm. sell. Because I had like I had a little question here where I said Julie talks about the sudden onslaught of book challenges and book bans starting in the 1980s and how you think that compares to the book banning going on today. I feel like there's not been. So like the introduction I was reading for the places I never meant to be that was published in 2000, I feel like there's not been relief from that in the past 40 years. I think that's true. I think like reading that book I'm reading, you know, you saw some of the same techniques in the conservative movement in the late 70s, you know, kind of mobbing Mm -hmm. school board meetings and doing that kind of stuff. And they were well organized. Mm -hmm. And I think the internet has only made them more well organized social media and social media yeah they've they're sharing their book lists they're sharing it's just intensified the whole thing but it's not different i mean it's it's this you know the the same Mm -hmm. but they're just getting better at it they're even better at it they have better tools Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah so i think at the same time where we've had this like big explosion in like young adult literature since I don't know, since Twilight came out, say, and, you know, Gossip Girl, the author of Gossip Girl was she, one of the people they talked to on that thing, because her books were banned a lot. Hers aren't, like, realistic necessarily, but, uh, yeah, I can't think of people really writing in the same thing in a way that's, like, I mean, I think I've read books where they're, like, real straightforward and they're real honest, but they're not as popular, And they don't get that marketing backing the way like fantasy novels do. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, of something like Twilight, which I, you know, I really enjoyed reading and and has had like a big, you know, effect on like my career. But that's really concerned with like a lot of the opposite things of like forever. So forever's you know, about like a, a fairly short relationship in high school where they, you know, we're really obsessed with being for, together forever, but then ultimately, you know, within a year, we're not. And you see in Twilight the same, like, youthful obsession with forever that's, like, granted. Um, and they don't have sex until they're married. And they, like, literally live together forever, like, yeah. past a human <laughs> lifetime because they're vampires. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I think that reflects the, the culture. Right. Not realistic or fantasy just this other like this dream world or this other world yeah i think what joe said kind of about the audience to the fragmentation of Uh audiences today too is when you said about it not being as popular like i mean things still break through to that level sometimes but not 
it's not as I think it's harder now to reach the same kind of audience you reached when things were more there was just less yeah because now there's so much stuff coming out of Japan like it's really global now though. right and I guess in the 70s there wasn't even very much like TV to watch no <laughs> right. and so people you had these huge audiences yeah. you know where everybody people talk about all the tonight you know watching the uh, Johnny Carson and they talk about it the next day because everybody watched it because it was it was on you know or it's just you you don't get those audiences anymore right and then like in the documentary they show lots of clips of Judy being interviewed in like in the seventies about her children's books where the focus in those interviews is really like what's it like to write for children you know and like oh the kids really like you a lot and they'll come out to your book signings and like isn't that interesting like how. You know, they appreciate how honest and straightforward you are with them. Those kinds of questions. And then then after 1980, it really changed to having questions about, like, kids shouldn't be reading this. Or why would you ever write a book that has, like, a scene of masturbation in it? Or, like, how come these kids aren't punished for being bullies? Well, I did read Blubber. And that it was hard to read. I think that's one I never read. Yeah, it was... They were mean, like mean girls. But at the same time, you know, when you think about it and I thought about what was going on, I think they're in grade four or five. At, and it's real. It's realistic. Like mm-hmm. it's not. And you kind of had a it was hard pulling for the main character. And I don't know if I'm just used to this happening like that, that formula of oh, they're going to learn their lesson and they're going to become friends. Like that never happens. It was, but you think about it in real life, that never happens, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was really, it was hard, hard to read and probably brought back stuff, you know, that I'd rather not remember. But you think about kids that age, that's happening to them Mm -hmm. and maybe even worse I don't know. And I think that just like acknowledgement. Yeah. Is really powerful to a kid. Yeah. That I, I see you. I know that that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. It doesn't seem like there's a Judy Bloom today or figure like that. It, when, it, when you try to think about somebody who's doing kind of realist stuff and like being real straight, though, I think of people writing about race. Yeah. I think of Jason Reynolds. I think of... Um, What's her name? She wrote the book, The Hate You Give. Angie Thomas. Angie Thomas. Mm-hmm. I think about that as being a real mm-hmm. flashpoint in a way that seems like sex was. Um, yeah, and I think Judy people Bloom. writing um, like queer stories. Right. Those are the real mm-hmm. c- culture wars. She did write that one, Iggy's House, which I I had didn't read and I hadn't even heard about it. But in that interview with, Charlemagne the God, he was saying that was his favorite book. And it's about a girl in grade four and her best friend lives next door and their family moves and a black family moves in next door. And she she wants to, you know, welcome them to the neighborhood. And it is a strictly all white neighborhood. And so there is the talks about the racism. And she was saying Judy Bloom was saying in the interview that that's probably the only book that she would rewrite now just because she knows that she could write it better. Mm. But at the Charlemagne, the God was saying that's his favorite book uh-huh. because 
because it, I'm sure that, you know, he felt all those things. And he and Jason Reynolds were saying that they are interested in making that a movie. So she said she's going to, you know, nothing's definite yet, but she's definitely interested in that wow. happening. Yeah. I think that was her first book. Was it her first one? She talks about her, like, decision to become a writer and stuff because she got married very young and and she's she tried for a long time to write picture books and even today she's like people who write picture books are like the most creative people because she just found it like impossible she couldn't get published until she started writing more you know and i think iggy's house and she says like the first two books she wrote maybe were third person Mm -hmm. and she she hadn't gotten that first person thing that really yeah until margaret until margaret yeah yeah she had an interesting background we were talking a little bit before we hit record about her relationship with her parents which i think is so interesting we talked about the parents in forever and her grandparents also i like her parents a lot and margaret too they're very like i don't know it's funny there's this early in in the book they've just moved to the suburbs from new york city and she immediately like meets and makes friends with one of the neighborhood girls and her brother's friend moose who margaret has a crush on says tell your dad i mow lawns yeah he says no one of the the reasons i wanted to move out here was so i could mow my own lawn and then he immediately (laughs) like almost cuts his finger off in the lawnmower in the movie it's yeah you see her um they do it so well in the movie so that boy i think his name is moose moose Moose, he's mowing the lawn and the dad tells her to go out and pay him the money and she goes out there and they're talking and she's all shy and quiet and then the camera focuses up on his the hair underneath his armpit and she gets all coy it's like a real (laughs) woo that's a man They do it so well. Another thing I liked in the movie oh, was Rachel McAdams as the mom. She did so good. And the, one of the best parts was she she joins the PTA right when they move. And she's just like working, slaving away, doing all these things. She's on all these committees. And then she, you know, at the end of the movie, she's an art teacher. And so she starts teaching art again. And she sees the the alpha mom that lives next door that's the president of the PTA uh-huh. and she's asking her oh we really need your help on you know going into junior high on on these committees and she pauses and she goes no and she smiles and I just thought that was so awesome <laughs> like she's so happy to say no that she doesn't have time because as a as a mom, you have all that guilt that you should be doing that, and it's so hard to say no. So I just thought Rachel McAdams portrayed it, the mom, so good. And another character I loved was Nancy, the next-door neighbor. Uh-huh. The actress, the actor is Elle Graham, and she did so fantastic. I remember they're talking about, and you know, that's, I must, I must, I must increase my bus. Uh-huh. But growing up, I could totally identify with the character i think it was laura but she was the girl in the she's like uh-huh. six feet tall and she's yeah. got her boobs and she you know it probably had her period just developed so early i was like that was me there was no way i wanted so, laura danker they're so yeah. mean about her yeah uh and there's like rumors that she like goes behind the amp with the boys yeah i know and 
I remember I was like the first in my class to wear a bra and the first to have my period and it's not nice to be Uh first like when none of your peer group is even thinking about about it Uh so I uh yeah I could definitely and the the trying on the bra that was (laughs) I had a bad story with my mom was a single parent and I had two older sisters and my mom I was in a house lots of women so it wasn't like it was never talked about we talked about it all the time I was the youngest but I was still when I got my period so embarrassed I didn't want to I didn't want to uh, tell my mom or tell my sisters and I didn't want a bra. I think my sister Mm -hmm. goes, you need a bra like you (laughs) because I didn't want to grow up, I guess. But I remember having a very embarrassing my first bra. We went to Fields, which was like a cheaper division of Kmart. (laughs) And my mom tried it on me like by the racks. She didn't Uh she didn't have time to even go in the change room. So it was just over my clothes and yeah fits we'll take this one we gotta go so yeah it wasn't it wasn't a joyous thing that I was looking so I couldn't identify with Margaret and her group of friends yeah I was thinking about that too and I don't think I don't know we would have like like slumber parties and and stuff like that would kind of come up like oh who started their period or who's done this or like later it was like who's done this sex thing with whoever. (laughs) And, uh, but I don't think we have the same kind of like, can I can't wait till it's me kind of thing going on. Um, Yeah. Cause all I heard about was how awful it was for my sisters (laughs) and like, Oh, the cramps and the back pain. I was like, I don't want that. There's this part where in the book where they're like watching the movie at school and they're like, Oh, it says that periods don't hurt, which we already knew. And I was like, what are they talking about? (laughs) In the movie, they do they show a bit of the movie that they show the uh-huh. the girls, and the, it is like a classic, you know, like what probably a real one, what they uh-huh. would have shown with the the cartoon image, and you know all what all the parts that are inside. They did they did such a good job with that. Oh, I loved it. I'll have to, I'm excited to see that movie. Um, I'm glad too that they set it in the 70s and didn't try to like. Yeah, I think that I remember her saying that that was because she hadn't uh, let anyone make movies Mm -hmm. of her books, but she said that was non-negotiable, that it had to be set in 1970 Uh and that she got a say in the cast. She wanted the cast to be inclusive and it, it really was like they had her teacher in it is a black man. The librarian in the school is a black woman. And then one of her one of her friend group is a black girl. And I love the part where she's figuring out all the religion, mm-hmm. which is funny because I didn't remember that part when I read it growing up. But in the movie, that is such a good part where she goes to the synagogue and she goes to the, the Christmas uh, mass from mm-hmm. one of her friends. And then she goes to the gospel church with her black friend and that was that was awesome that part and then she goes to the catholic one and they're in the confessionals Uh and that's the that laura character she follows Uh her into the catholic one so that was pretty neat to see her search for religion yeah that's definitely not in the book like the got the black church there is a lot made of her male teacher and her mom's like well we'll see if you learn anything 
Oh no. <laughs> Definitely like the skepticism about like what a man could teach uh sixth graders or whatever. Yeah, and I remember being a girl and reading those books and being very confused by um like the period products they use. Oh god, yeah. I remember I remember my mom having like the belt. <laughs> And when I finally got mine, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I don't have to figure that out. But I think my at least my older sister still did. Yeah. And then they, they and invented the stick on. Kind. Yeah, the stick on ones. Yeah, I didn't really get it at all. I was like, I know when no one wears a belt right. in the 90s. <laughs> and um, I liked in the movie she her and her friend buy a pack of pads just uh-huh. to practice and it's so cute because she's like bending down and trying to see if you can see uh-huh. it you know that was that was all real true true to life kind there's of stuff. a part in the book where she stuffs three cotton balls on each side of her bra <laughs> to make herself look developed again i never had to do that <laughs> I didn't either and I was I was reading the book out loud to Austin, and when we got to the part where they're, like, trying on the belt and stuff, and he's like, I don't even know right. uh, what that is. And I was like, oh, wait, so you have to watch Saturday Night Live, like, when Tina Fey was the... Yes, yes, that and- one in the pool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they did a sketch of, like, Kotex classics or something. Yeah. Oh, because everything was coming. I don't know. They were having like old Coke or everything yeah, was uh-huh. coming back at that time. And they're like, we're we're doing it old school. And it was so funny because this would have been in the 2000s when like low rise jeans were right. really popular. And so like <laughs> Amy Poehler is wearing these like really low rise pants. And so the pad comes like way up to her like navel. Oh, my God. It's so funny. <laughs> and then Maya Rudolph's in the pool <laughs> and she's bikini. like floating. Up. <laughs> her bum's in the air she's trying to swim oh it's so funny yeah things you don't know when I, another book of hers i read was the tales of a fourth grade nothing and that like i was saying when i i was the youngest and i've never had so much sympathy for the oldest child until i had like an oldest child and just watching all that they go through and then this book was the same thing that poor older brother's uh-huh. like nine. And then he's got like his little brother's like feral. And just as a, a as a parent and as a, you know, no longer a preschool teacher, I was it was drive, driving me nuts. It's like that little boy needs where's the natural consequences? <laughs> like he wasn't. But I think I, I heard her say that she modeled fudge after her one of her son Larry yeah. or something and I was like oh lord it was it was hard to read some of those parts too he eats the turtle yeah I couldn't believe it <laughs> yeah they talked to her son in the documentary about that you know and and he's kind of like yeah he was like didn't bother him most of the time except like when he would go on dates and stuff and people would be like I'm going out with fudge <laughs> I thought her relationship with her parent, we talked a little bit, she grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and her parents, she talks about some of the roots of Margaret and her talking to God was her, her dad, they just had a terrible, I guess, genetic legacy. he had seven siblings. He He was the youngest. Yeah, he was the youngest of seven. I think the youngest of eight. Youngest of eight. Something like that. He had a large number of siblings and they're all dying before they're, what is it, like in their 40s and 50s. Uh. 
of heart trouble. And so, and her dad, what did her dad do for a living? He was gone some of the time. And she'd just pray all the time to let him not die. Yeah, like if she was a good enough kid. If she was a good enough kid, she'd make bargains all the time. Oh, I'll do this. And she said it was such a weight on a child to think that she, because she really thought, you know, that she could affect, you know, some control over this. And and he didn't die until she was engaged. A bunch of stuff had happened for her family that year. She had gotten engaged and... Something had happened with her brother, you know, like uh, I think he was like in a military academy. Or yeah, he had graduated or something. And her dad said, what a banner year for the Sussmans. And then he he got chest pains, had a heart attack right there and and said, oh, shit. And he died goes, in, yeah, in front says, of her. He goes, oh, shit. Oh, what shit. bad timing. What bad timing. And then he died. And then he died. And so five five weeks later, she gets married. But it's all under a bit of a cloud, you know, and. She's kind of lost, and she's young. And then her mother, she talks about the, her dad was like the loving one, and her mother was like, couldn't talk about things and was very reserved. But her mother typed all her manuscripts. Aww. And she's kind of like laughing because she's like, she typed all of them. She typed forever. She, <laughs> she never said a word about what was in any of the books, just typed up the manuscripts for her. Hmm. I thought her parents are so interesting. Uh-huh. In that interview with Charlemagne the God, he asks her, he goes, I know that you loved your dad so much. He goes, so as a father of four girls, he goes, I want to ask, what did your dad do, you know, to why did you love him so much or what can I do as a father to to you know have my girls love me that much it was yeah what did she say she said just like support them you know let them and talk to them and spend time with them and let them know that you know that you're important in their life or they're important to you so it was real it was real sweet yeah she talks later about tiger eyes which was one of her later books and she said she didn't so she she was married to her first husband for like 18 years i think she got married when she was 20 and then divorced when she was like 37 or 38 and then she's like i was so stupid i just immediately got married again divorced that guy and then and she was like i guess it's just not going to happen for me that i have like a love match and then she met who's her her, her husband george a very sweet story and she said It wasn't until that she was with George and she felt just like very, very happy that she could really confront and deal with the grief about her father's death. And that's when she wrote Tiger Eyes, which is about a girl whose father is is murdered. He's he's killed in like a convenience store robbery in the beginning of the book. And then the whole book is about they they move to New Mexico to like Los Alamos to stay with her aunt, uncle and her just dealing with her grief and stuff there and she was reading from the first chapter and she started crying because it's still so like it's just right there wow the beginning of that book too is like i was reading the first chapter of that because it starts with like she's trying to find shoes to wear and she can't find any and her mom's like just take a pair of mine and so she puts the shoes on and they go to a funeral and it's just like describing her standing there and like the sweat like pooling in her bra and how uncomfortable it is and her mom not saying a sound and just like the tears slowly rolling down her face and then something about how she's trying not to think about what's happening and the casket that's slowing in the ground and the fact that it's her father in it and that like last line of the first chapter is like the it's 
that's when you know what it's about. You know, she has this whole like three or four pages where you don't know whose funeral they're at or like what's happening. It's just so powerful. Hmm. How sad. I, yeah. I think I heard her say that that really writing that book really helped her heal or help, you know, mm-hmm. from her father's death. So I wonder how many. That must have been a lot of years, though. That, that would she... have been, I think, in her late 40s, maybe. And and he died when she was 20? Yeah. Oh, wow. 20 years. Almost not... 30 years. Well, yeah. Not not uh, not dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And they it. did make a movie of Tiger Eyes, I don't know, not that long ago. Maybe in the last 10 years. And Judy has a bookstore now. Yeah. That's kind of like a late development in her life. She says she and her husband fell in love with Key West. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to live there. And then she just happened to. She had an opportunity to buy a bookstore. So she did. And so she's like there and very available to her fans and stuff. I thought it was really interesting too. Becky and I were talking about aging. I'm always really interested in artists and how they age um, and how our culture, the expectations our culture has for people as artists when they age. And so she's written her last novel in 2015, and she's very intentional about it. That was like an idea. The novel is um, kind of ricochets back and forth from the 50s to the 80s and back again in the unlikely event. And it's based on an actual weird three months in Elizabeth, New Jersey, where she grew up, where three different plane crashes happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And she wanted to do that idea. And then she was, she was through. And I thought it was so cool the way she talks in the documentary about making that decision because she just decided she still has all kinds of ideas, but she's 83. And she's very, at the time, she's very conscious too of being 83 in a family where all these people died in their 50s. And so she lived her first part of her life in this desperate hurry because she thought she'd die. Um, and she hasn't, but she decided, you know, she just doesn't have the years left to sit in the room and, and work on a big book or anything. And she just wants to be out in the world. And so she's out in the world in her bookstore talking to people. Riding her bike around Key Riding West. her bike around <laughs> Key West. And it's so beautiful. And to make that decision, because I think in our culture, in American culture in particular, we're, we're very weird about artists aging. Like we kind of watch them like a hawk for if they're slipping, if they keep going. and But then if they stop, we're like, what are you doing? You know, like... Or about retiring in general. Like there was a time when all these people retired in their 50s and now people can't and they have to, you know, like wait until they're in their mid-60s or 67. And But there are people that keep working, you know, in their 70s and they're good for them. I think it's so good to keep your mind active yeah if that's what you want to do mm-hmm. I also think my grandparents retired at 55 and they've been able to do all this other stuff you know like travel and I don't know that like just people a lot of people just don't get the opportunity to do because they they have to work for years and years one of the things I was noticing about her books that I forgot to mention or at least the ones that I read is that they're all have money, you know, like mm. they're not working class at all. The parents are doctors or lawyers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I might have even remembered that thinking, oh, these people, like they've got a whole den that they can, yeah. you know, like we didn't have that. Recreation room. <laughs> right. What's that? <laughs> 
Yes, for sure. Or even the mom being home. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't that wasn't my situation at all too. So there there is that disparity of uh, of economic means yeah. which probably was the world she grew grew up in. And I think her situation with her husband and stuff and her kids grew up in when she was writing because she raised her kids in like a very suburban place where she talks in the documentary about oh like her husband was okay with her writing as long as it didn't interfere with him her like raising his kids and then stuff keeping the home yeah. yeah that is a part in the tales of a fourth grade nothing where the mom's sister is having a baby and so she goes away just for the weekend uh-huh. she flies to wherever the sister is and the dad has to look after the two boys by himself and he's not just as a mom I was so horrified by this like he they the the fudge didn't he didn't bathe them he didn't even change them out of his clothes like he just slept he wore the same outfit the whole weekend and he had to take them to work with them and he's an ad it's like a madman type uh-huh. of situation and the he's he's writing a commercial for a this people that have like a toddler bike, mm-hmm. and they see Fudge and they want him in the in in their commercial, and he ends up being in the commercial, but they don't tell the mom anything about it. He buys them hamburgers. He doesn't. He tries to make him an omelet, and it turns out gross. And he just leaves all the dishes for the mom when she gets back. I was like, oh my lord, it's awful. Yeah. I think in some of her later books that she wrote, I think like in Tiger Eyes, if I'm remembering right. So the the dad owned that convenience store that he was murdered in. And then they have to go and live with his sister and her husband in New Mexico. I think there is more of a class awareness in her in her later books, but definitely yeah a lot of um and I probably didn't think about that very much when I was a kid um my family's working class but my mom did stay home and so that that part seemed you know pretty normal in the are you there god it's me Margaret book her mom is a painter she's not like teacher but often she's like or my mom she's like paints fruits (laughs) (laughs) um so she's often like working on that at home Right, because right, the their family is a little bit like exotic to the very yeah. bohemian. She doesn't go to Sunday school. Yeah, they're not mom religious. Stays home and paints fruits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love the parents in that book. I love the dad too. I thought it was such an interesting and the grandma oh, Sylvia. I love the grandma. Yeah, oh, the grandparents in her books that I read are great. Yeah, and I love like that whole. I guess it's kind of the climax of the novel when her vacation to Florida with Sylvia gets canceled. And you could see this really vulnerable moment from the mom, you know, where she's kind of like caught up in her own emotions mm-hmm. about her parents and hoping they'll be different. And um, the dad is very salty and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, it's your mother's fault. And then the two old J- Jewish people come up to like, I don't know, kind of surprise backup. backup. I don't, it was just also. In where the, are your other grandparents? <laughs> in the movie, Kathy Bates is phenomenal oh. as the Jewish grandma. She does it so, it was so good. And she's, she's so fun. Like they have the, the Margaret comes on the bus to New York and they go uh-huh. to plays and she uh-huh. sleeps over and oh, she was, she's phenomenal in the, in it. 
You really have to see it. It's so good. Okay. <laughs> and I like that moment with the mom when her parents are coming in. Margaret's so upset. And I'm reading it now. And I'm like, this is not fair to Margaret. Like, <laughs> right? why does, you know, make them change their vacation days? Why does she have to do it? And like, of course, like the one grandparent she has that like, just accept her how she is. Like, she isn't going to see her. And the mom says to her, try to understand me. And Margaret says, or she thinks, no adult has ever asked me to try to understand them before. So I guess I will. Aww. And even Sylvia, like there's that moment, you know, and the grandparents from Ohio are terrible and they've left. And the um, the Jewish contingent from Florida comes in and then Sylvia's like, oh, I knew you were a Jewish girl. Even Sylvia yeah. like doesn't get it. Puts that pressure uh-huh. on her. Yeah. To, to choose the one that she wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Margaret's like, I guess I'll never go to the Y or the Jewish Community Center. (laughs) (laughs) I love how these, we touched on this a little bit, but like, it's amazing to me. I mean, the people talked a little bit in the documentary and talked a little bit about maybe sort of the limitations of her viewpoint, you know, and, and the sort of things that aren't in her books. But like the fact that these books cut through that it was written in the early 70s and it has all this 70s stuff in it, but kids are still reading it today. I feel like that came up kind of when we were talking about Beverly Cleary, too, where it's just amazing. And those were, you know, maybe 1960s, uh, Henry Higgins, things like that. It's just amazing to me when something like that can cut through to kids today. In the documentary, they're talking to Jason Reynolds, and he says, he says, I don't think Judy was writing books to be timeless. He was writing, she was writing books that were timely, and that's why they've become timeless. He's so smart. He's so cool. I was gonna <laughs> and uh, it kind of made me think of Louisa May Alcott mm. and like Little Women being a book because someone was talking about, oh, like these books are historical fiction now for kids. And I was like, I don't as far as talking about genre, like that's not that's not true. Like a historical fiction book would explain to the reader, you know, what a pad belt or whatever those right. things are called. It doesn't explain <laughs> any of that because it's a contemporary book. And I think in the same way that like Little Women is a contemporary book and it was written for for kids at the time that it was written and it doesn't explain anything about like the time period or anything to them. But it becomes like timeless to readers because they see themselves in these characters and they have the same kind of like internal life that children have mm-hmm. that so many so much media doesn't it's that voice recognize. Yeah. I think what they may have in common is just that they never lost that I don't know what you want to call it that inner child or that mm-hmm. connection to childhood like I Beverly Cleary, Cleary and, and Judy Bloom both are I think they can I don't know if they just remember or they still are you know like they still are that Judy Bloom Judy talks about that right? she says she has perfect She's recall perfect. of her life since third grade <laughs> oh really <laughs> She's like, I can go right back there. And she doesn't talk too much about this, but she's also received 2,000 letters a month, you know, at least from kids. And so she's read all these, I'm sure, all kinds of incidents and been steeped in the voices of kids for years and years and years. um, Girls that she corresponded with who they talked to in the documentary, she was like, um, she said, even as a kid, I'd be like, oh, Judy's doing this thing for me. And like, what do I have to offer? And she's like, maybe, maybe my perspective, my inside perspective from oh, sixth grade. Material. Be- yes. <laughs> helpful to her. What a smarty. <laughs> to know that's gold. Yeah. 
I want to find that. I was looking for that. I didn't realize it was an anthology about the banned books. Uh-huh. I was like, somewhere she has a nonfiction book about that. Yeah. We have to track that down. For have the you... library collection? Huh? Just we... she wants to read that. I want to oh, okay. read that. It's like an anthology. And I, I, did, I misunderstood and thought it was like all by her. Oh. And so I couldn't find it. Have, did, have either of you read any of her adult, like actual adult novels? Yes. In my Judy Bloom years, so mm. when I was probably like 12, I read Summer Sisters. Did um, you like it? I did like it. It's it's interesting. So one of the things I really remember about it, because it follows these two girls in their friendship from being kids to like being women, and I really remember the parts where they're kids and in the book, I remember that they do, the two girls, like a lot of sexual experimentation with each other. Oh, wow. And it's not, she never like d- defines it as like homosexuality or it's just like a thing right. that happens and then, mm-hmm. you know, then they grow up and get boyfriends right. and stuff that I'd never read in a book before that. Hmm. So, In the Are You There God movie, the Nancy, the best friend, practices kissing on uh-huh. the bedpost, and she she really goes for it. And you could <laughs> just the the acting, and then the Margaret's like expression on her face, watching her like you know make out with this bedpost. It was pretty pretty funny, pretty cute. That's funny. A lot of those characters, and just it's fr- more fresh for me watching the movie are like those classic characters i think that talking about the universality of it that everybody had you know, especially at that age there's just such disparity with growth like mm-hmm. you've got like the really short kids and then the really tall kids and kids in between and um you've got that one boy that everyone thinks is so good looking but uh-huh he's such an asshole like he like he knows it you know yeah. and then the her her best friend uh, the nancy next door who's like so so aggressive uh-huh. and this is the real <laughs> ringleader like i definitely had one of the, uh-huh. those friends and it's like the up. most ready to grow up yes lies and yeah the, the moment where she realized nancy is a liar yeah blows her mind yeah yeah she's like oh Maybe she lied about Laura Danker too. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's talking to Moose. Uh huh. He's just like, mm, shouldn't believe everything everybody anybody says. She's like, oh. <laughs> I think when I was a kid, the big thing that we all looked forward to was being able to shave our legs. Oh. <laughs> Who shaved their arms to? I. <laughs> oh, like this. Yes. Yes. Just uh. keep going. <laughs> Whole body. I remember doing pressing way too hard and just getting mm. bad, bad razor burn. Yeah. Or I was still. Well, I remember my sisters doing nair, oh. which oh <laughs> god, a chemical Ooh. peel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't accidentally touch like your eyebrow or oh, something. Right, you nair on your yeah. nose. I'll take it right off. It's been really interesting for me. I think in this episode and in Beverly Cleary to read these books pitched at different age groups because uh, I mostly read adult stuff. I think it's so hard to write. Like they seem deceptively simple, like on the, on the language level, on the line level, but they're so artful, uh-huh. you know? And I think it's really hard to write that way in such a clean kind of like seemingly simple way that makes it really approachable. But she's so funny 
and these little lines and these little, uh-huh. um, you know. Um, like sometimes the things I think like that she'll have the characters notice. Mm, the details, yeah. They're so artful. You were starting to read one of the books, and she, uh, Becky read me a page, <laughs> and, it, and it was about this girl um, putting up posters in her room, um, and she puts a Richard Gere poster, like, directly <laughs> above her above bed. her bed. Um, but so but she doesn't think of him as Richard Gere. She thinks of him as Joshua. No. It says, to me, he's Benjamin Moore. He's 17, and he's my first boyfriend. I love that name, Benjamin Moore. I got it off a paint can. Oh. And that line, that little line, I got it off a paint can, just killed us. We were just laughing our heads off. She struggles in this book, this character, Stephanie. She's friends with Rachel, who got a book written about her later. And one of her struggles is, like, Rachel's smarter than she is and, like, gets put in, like, a different class. So do the characters in different books intersect? Is there a Judy Blume multiverse? Uh, No. There's So there's, like, the Fudge books, and there's quite a few of those. Fudge stays really young, like, the whole time. She says, like, first she based him off of Larry, and then she later she based him off of her grandkids. And then this book and Here's to You, Rachel Robinson, those are connected. But I think for the most part. Everything stands on its own. Yeah. And I think both of those books stand on their own. You don't have to read them together, but. Did you ever read Deanie? No, I didn't. They, What's Deanie about? Deanie's about, uh, it's the book with the girl with scoliosis. I think of her books like, this is the divorce one. This <laughs> right. is the boy one. Uh, you know, um, Deanie, I would like to reread Deanie. One of the things I very, like, remember about it is that they had to wash the dish sheet. So it's Deanie and Deanie has an older sister and Deanie is the beautiful one and her sister is the smart one and her mom says that mm-hmm. about them. And they really struggle with the like roles that the mom has decided for them. But they always, after dinner every night, they wash and dry and put the dishes away together, the two sisters, and that's kind of like the time that they have to, to talk to each other. But um, Deanie's mom wants her to be a model and she gets scoliosis and she has to wear a back brace and she's suddenly like not the beautiful perfect one anymore the roles yeah Mm -hmm. so was that in the day when it also required the headgear and Mm -hmm. oh man yeah that was such a fear of mine Uh seeing people you know and that is very timely because i know that people still get scoliosis Uh today and have to wear braces but lucky for them they've come the braces have come a long <laughs> yeah. way. That documentary really makes you want to read all these other ones. Yeah. Like they talk about Wifey, which was her first like real adult novel. And people had been, people are so condescending. People had been saying to her at like dinner parties, like, what, when are you going to write a real book? Are you going to oh, write a real book? That's so awful. Um, and I think like literature's gotten better, but it used to, but you know, there was so much condescension. Because it was children's for children's children, and, and they don't make any money. And so. genre people got you know got that condescension, and but she writes. So then she writes this book after she gets divorced, which I guess for if you think forever is explicit, wifey is apparently a, a, a cut above that. And then people complained about this book was too adult, you know, and it was just like, but it sounded interesting. Yeah, she really cut loose with this book. Yeah. Bedini is the one that has the scene of the the girl masturbating that oh, got all yeah. that attention and the banning and stuff for just like this it's very one small. like one or two lines in the whole book. Yeah, but it had never been in a book before. Um, 
she said she heard from like a principal who took the book out of the school libraries. He said if it had been a boy, it would have been natural. But if, oh but the, you know, gosh. she's like, what do you know? Sexism. <laughs> Alive and well. Yeah, I don't know how Judy Bloom hasn't just like, I, it seems like steam would just be coming out of her ears all the time. She mm-hmm. seems like such a happy person. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Because she's had to deal with, you know. But I was thinking, so like, we started talking about um, censorship. We started the episode talking about censorship. And I was thinking about what's different now um, with book banning from what it was like for her in the 80s. And I think she's the difference now. Like, she talks about how suddenly it started and everyone was very organized. And now authors are very organized. Librarians are very organized against book banning. And I think a lot of that is because of the work that she's done. I think I just read this morning, was it Arkansas, that they've passed something that a librarian or teacher can be jailed Mm. for having books that are banned. (sighs) Yeah, there's a lot of scary stuff going Mm -hmm. on. And and she's provided a role model, too, I think, to younger authors, like to your John Greens and your of how how to bear that, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, with, dig- with, you know, with sort of grace and, and, yeah. um, yeah. And almost like a script to, sure. like even in the eighties and she had like, um, young people come at that time to speak at, you know, school board meetings and stuff about the importance of their freedom to read to them. And, that script that's so common now for for someone to say like you know a parent yes maybe you can decide for your own children like what are they can or cannot read but you don't get aside for me or for my children mm-hmm. um i think that's something that's very like a common defense now and i think that's straight out of the mouth of judy bloom oh that's neat yeah i didn't know that yeah i that's what gets me very angry that yeah, that you're right. That the the language, uh, what to say, because like, how dare somebody say what my kid can read? But how dare they? Yeah, I'm. I'm always like, there have been a few times in the last year that that I've been really cheered by, sort of, people um, in our community who are eager to talk to me, and I'm sure to other people on staff to kind of be like. How you guys doing? You guys doing? Because yeah. they see what's happening across the country. And how are you guys? You're not going to take any books out of the collection, are you? Like, are you guys having any trouble? Like that 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 culture of intellectual freedom. That you know, because I've also encountered people who want books removed. And one of the things I noticed about what they said was they believe themselves to be a mon the, the community to be a monolith. They believe that everybody's like them, except maybe some tiny aberrant, you know group um of course you shouldn't have these books because everybody's like x yeah um but it's not true right you know because i hear other people so you know that always cheers me up a little bit the people (laughs) being like you guys doing all right you need any you know Mm -hmm. any support thank you for your support yeah (laughs) people are people are um it matters to people it matters to people who don't even use the library yeah Mm -hmm. actually um it would be interesting. I think a lot of the stuff that we saw with Judy Bloom was from like 2021. Yeah. Because I think that's when they were filming that documentary. 
And I would be interested to talk to her like today because she lives in Florida. Mm-hmm. And Florida is the state, I think, that's having the most book banning going on and these kinds of like outrageous changes to their history curriculum and like yeah. this like censorship of like literal words mm-hmm. um, that they cannot say in classrooms and and what she thinks about that being like living there. I think I've heard her say that she feels like Key West where she is mm-hmm. is a little bit separate or a little bit different uh-huh. from the rest of Florida, but she must she must come across it a lot. It must be hard. It's kind of like Austin in Texas, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. where you got these islands of Oh, one more thing I want to talk about is um forever. I want to talk about Artie. Mm. There aren't other than what I mentioned about Summer Sisters, a lot of like gay people in Judy Bloom's books as far as I can remember. And in Forever, Kath's friend dates this guy named Artie, who's Michael's friend, and he like won't have sex with her or he won't do sexual things with her. And she's like, she's like, I came right out and asked him. I said, Artie, are you queer? And he says, I don't know. But she says she's going to try to help him. Yeah. Yeah. Erica. Yeah. Is her name. Yeah. The friend. And it's like this tiny subplot that like you barely get any insight into but I want, like, it's, I wish there was more of that. And then Artie makes this big scene at a party where he's being so, like, melodramatic and stuff. But then the next day he tries to kill himself. And mm-hmm. so you're After like. After she breaks up with him. Yes. Yeah. It's just so intense. Um, but just such a tiny part of the book. I don't know. What did you guys think about that? It's very sad. I, I yeah. thought it was very sad. And I was kind of like when Erica proposes to, like, sort of help him. I thought, okay. And then you kind of see him. You get more of his kind of swings of mood and some of those sort of dramatic monologues. Uh And I remember wanting her to break up with him because I thought this isn't good for her. And then chapter ends, new chapter, he tries to hang himself. First line and you're just like. She says the first line like. As if he. As if he had done it. He says already hanged himself on his shower curtain rod. Yeah. And then the next sentence is like luckily And then she clarifies, you know, that of course it broke and. To me, that was that seemed to really date the book where uh-huh. she was going to help him, yeah. you know, because I just the teens I know today, I feel would be OK would you know, wouldn't think that that's something you can change uh-huh. about them. They're just so much more well versed and intelligent um, about homosexuality. It makes me think of conversations that we were having with some of our book club people um, oh, the yes. other day and, and some people who are probably the right age, you know what I mean, to sort of, and one of our book club people was telling us about how kind of invisible to them mm-hmm. gay people were, you know, and how, you know, how she's talking about how naive she was. And I think that's probably Erica is kind of naive. But is it the suicide part? Here? No, there's that too, but I think... Also, like, Artie wants to be an actor, and he wants to go to the school. His father won't let him go to. Mm-hmm. It made me think a little bit of, like, Dead Poet Society. Oh, oh yeah. Sure. Um, but then I feel like Artie's story, once he tries to kill himself and he, he's shipped off to the psychiatric facility, it kind of ends. Yeah. You know, she, like, there's letters, letter you know, but it it's not, there's, I guess, not a lot of resolution to his 
Yeah, it's like an story, interesting bad. kind of character to include and not do, like to just kind of leave hanging there. And I guess that's realis- realistic in a way. Also, the way that Forever starts, I guess going back to another side character that kind of has an interesting plot thing is at the beginning of this book. This whole book. Her first boyfriend? No. So the first chapter, it goes, Sybil Davison has a genius IQ and has been laid by at least six different guys. Oh, right. (laughs) Sybil, Erica's cousin. That's the first sentence of the book. Very catching. And then later, Sybil gets pregnant. She hides her pregnancy from everybody until she's, like, giving birth. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I didn't want anyone to talk me out of the experience of birth. And then she gives the child up for adoption. You kind of get this a little bit of like a resolution yeah. in her story, even though she's even a much minor, minorer, more minor character mm-hmm. than Artie. I'm thinking, just going back to Artie for a second, it makes me think of, you know, mental illness in in, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have somebody in my family who talked about dating a boy who turned out to be bipolar and how what a difficult experience that was as like a young girl because she always thought like is it me mm-hmm. you don't understand these things and so i think this is a kind of cautionary thing you know in the way that you know there's things that not that it's it's not like a didactic thing but like that kids and teens can kind of learn from this book what happens with erica is is similar because those kind of things especially then i think when people didn't understand mental illness stuff you could just be tying yourself up in knots thinking that you were yeah like the cause of something a... that's mm-hmm. totally yeah. just coming out of someone's own mental state and yeah Sybil Sybil is an interesting character and she's like in the hospital and she's like oh it didn't hurt at all the guy kept giving me gas every time (laughs) she's kind of a funny I had gas and it still hurt (laughs) let me just say (laughs) and what about Theo what do you think about Theo he's not much of a character the weird hippie boyfriend who like never wears shirts yeah yeah he's older he's like more sensitive than and then Michael, I thought that was supposed to be like the contrast, you know? Right. He's like, her grandfather dies and he comes in and he's like talking about like psychology and stuff. Whereas Michael would just be like, let's go have sex. Right. <laughs> Come on, we'll just It'll talk. It'll make you feel better. That's what he says later. Yeah. He's like, it's natural to want to do it after somebody dies. And she's like, I don't want to. Ugh, it's uncomfortable. The book, I, it's yeah. an uncomfortable book, but I can see There's, why it's. There is so much in it like so Uh many you know teen experiences or life experiences in that little book Mm -hmm. and yeah the the lack of conclusion kind of bothers me just like it that bothers bothered me in blubber but it is very true to life like it yeah that is kind of what happens people move on or you don't get that real satisfying like movie ending Mm -hmm. but that doesn't that doesn't always happen either no she's very honest she resists that kind of fantasy that we have of yeah of tidiness or that you can avoid the awkward bits Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Um, and and i guess that's why kids you know you talked about kids trusting her yeah she's (laughs) unflinchingly honest Mm mm-hmm she says on her website, she says, I wish the censors could read the letters kids write. And then she quotes one of them. Dear Judy, I don't know where I stand in the world. 
I don't know who I am. That's why I read to find myself. That's from Elizabeth, age 13. Do you guys have any final thoughts? I just like to encourage people, if you haven't read any Judy Bloom, to go out and and read some. And definitely see the movie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And the, uh, the documentary sounds yeah, amazing. It is really good. Unfortunately, it's only available... Um, through like an Amazon Prime account, so it's not available like to rent or to get from the library right now. But if it becomes available, you can bet it, that yeah. we will we will get it. Yeah. And I'm just really, I feel really like grateful towards Judy Bloom, both as like an author of books that meant a lot to me when I was a kid, and also as like a librarian who's like like opened up this genre, like this field of writing that's been so much a big part of my life and career um i feel like not possible without her so Mm, that's beautiful yeah austin did you learn a lot about yeah uh, female adolescence yeah yeah and i have a list i have a book list of books to read yeah so no i'm i'm very that's one of the things i love about doing this book as well as book clubs some of the other things we do is is being sort of pushed to read things that you wouldn't have picked up so Mm -hmm. i'm very glad Thanks, everybody, for listening to your shelf. And mine. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Joe. I'm Austin. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the friends of the Longview Public Library, the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery.